Welcome to the 15th episode of the ClassCast podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tibbins. Today, we're speaking with Mike Wagner, an excellent science teacher, GIS leader, director, uh, and should we say curriculum developer? Yeah, all right. Yeah? Okay, uh, in Loudoun County Public Schools. So let's start with the part that I already botched. Um, what is the curriculum slash GIS piece that you do? That's that's really like a very unique thing. So my official title is GIS lead teacher for the okay. Loudoun County. Um, so in that role, I oversee the geospatial science course that's offered at the high school level uh, for juniors and seniors. Dual enrollment with James Madison University. Great place. Um, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and I also um, help to integrate ge- geospatial technology into K-12 curriculum. So I work with the science office um, in that capacity. So what kind of technology? Like, what does that mean? So that is the use of spatial data and um, looking at things more spatially. So we have a software through ESRI um, called ArcGIS Online. Um, it also is a Arc Pro, which is a desktop version that we use in our high school courses. Um, but ArcGIS Online is available to any teacher um, anywhere in the country. ESRI gives it for free. Um, and basically, you it allows you to look at things... Look at data and information spatially. And, you know, we talk about a lot in in education about um, spatial thinking, increasing problem solving and spatial thinking skills. And that's what this really fits with. Um, Any subject area can use it. Um, I've had English teachers use it for character development, following character development in a book. For example, like Huck Finn goes down the Mississippi River. Um, So you stopping, stopping in places, adding it to the map. Okay, where was that? Bringing that real life geography to. And so then, so and I mean, does it actually create like a map? Like students would have a visual that accompanies, say, with the reading, or they can add as they go. Yeah, and there's yeah, they can add as they go, and they can. The beauty of that is you can put a point on a map and say this is um, this particular point in Missouri on the river, and then there's a text box that pops up that you can add information to. So the student can actually do a summary of what happened in that part of the book and then right. move on to the next location and do that. There's also a component of that called story maps, which you can actually create your own story through the use of pictures and videos and maps and web pages or links to web pages. So you can actually do a lot with it and, um, we're seeing a lot of success with, with that, teachers, but not a lot of people know about it yet. So right. that's what we're trying to get the word out for well, that. Hopefully this helps. So, I mean, obviously you have a cool application in English, but this is targeted... Mainly I mean, science. In science. I mean, I feel social like... Social science. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like the social studies teachers can make a ton of use of this. You know, as an English teacher, I'm like, yes, Huck Finn. I literally have 75 copies of Huckleberry Finn <laughs> sitting in my office right now. Uh, so that works for me. But probably the most obvious applications would probably be in a history geography class. But this is categorized under science, right? Right. So Loudoun County categorizes is under science. But it is, um, you're right. The social studies teachers use it very often or right. should be using it very often because it goes along with their curriculum. Geography, world geography. You know, going along, there's a lot of different information about um, the different battles and different wars that, right. that have gone on um, over time all across the world. And one of the things that we do, um, that there's a lesson that we do with our geospatial students. There's actually one organization put together every location of every bomb that dropped in, um, in Japan. Okay. Or, no, I'm sorry, no, 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 in the Vietnam War. 
I'm sorry, every Vietnam one. Every single one, there was about a million, 1.2 million points. Holy crap. So they map that out. They find yeah. the hot spots about where. So the whole lesson is about cleaning up the ordinance now, even. Right, even, like anything that's left. Right. Over. So um, that's cool. And so that's that's one of the, so there's a there's an aspect of the spatial looking at that so right. where did where was the heavy damage where was where were the ordinances you know left behind potentially right. um but also what happened in that conflict like right. where you know what were if you add on to that you can very easily add on to that troop movements so right. you know where were the where were they move, going to where were they coming from where were the drums bombs dropped why were they dropped there yeah overlay um, pre-existing populations or something right. like yeah that right. that's actually that's pretty cool there's a probably not as high tech in terms of the the technology used to make it but i'm just thinking of like different applications there's a lesson i usually do towards the end of the year on nuclear war like nuclear bombs and so we read a dr seuss book the butter battle book which is awesome and then a Kurt Vonnegut speech, and then I show them, and there's a few different versions on YouTube, but it's like, I think, 12 minutes, and it shows every nuclear explosion in the history of the world, but it stops at like 1995, 98, something like that. But it, it's basically the same thing, But it, and the kids love it, because you can give them the number, and they go like, wow, that's a lot, but then when they sit and watch it, like, that's that like the spatial and visual right. piece, like when they can actually see and visualize it, at the end... You know, and I, I never, I don't tell them what to think about. It. I just go, I don't know. I just, it's a thing you should think about, but I don't know what you know to walk away with. I tried it one year without showing the video because we had like an assembly or something. Bombed <laughs> the whole <laughs> lesson. Bombed. So I'm thinking, like, for a social studies teacher, or for certain certain things in science, you could probably probably do a lot. I mean, yeah. And there's 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 another example would be. Um, Every battle of the Civil War has been mapped out over right. years, and there's actually a time slider that, when you start to let the time slider go and all the points automatically populate on the map, you can actually see where the where the Confederate and Union forces came right. from, and where the where the battle where the early battles took place, right. where the ending battles took place. It's really cool to see that timeline. Yeah, and you don't get to do that with a paper map. You don't get to do that with Unless you have a series of maps that show you, like right. static maps, that show you, you know, this date and this date and this date. And, yeah, and even um, because you could do multiple movements, I was even just thinking, like, I saw a history teacher one time who had a map, and he had, like, chess pieces almost, and he moved them to show movement. But he has to keep moving them, and he only has two hands, and there are more than two things moving at a time. So even that, which was a cool idea, really isn't, like, an accurate visualization. Have you... I don't know. I don't know if this is too picky, but I, I know some kids who really like the AP human geography class, mm -hmm. which is through social studies. And that's like, it's labeled as geography, but a lot of it really has to do with like culture and, and interactions between groups. Like, I feel like that would be a place because it has the geography in the, in the title, but the students, I obviously, I haven't taken the class, but it sounds like it really, you're really talking about the interactions between people or the development of populations in places like that's a thing that's probably a lot easier to learn if you can see it. Yes. And that is, um, that's what we're trying to get the word. That's what I'm trying to get the word out to, you know, social studies teachers, um, more, more science teachers as well. Right. We attempted to, I attempted to train um, social studies teachers early on when the desktop software was out and available. Right. Because um, we also um, were given that as a, as a district. Um, mm -hmm. The problem was that, it was very cumbersome to use. A lot of teachers got turned off by it because it was taking so much time and too much to just 
create what they want right, to create right, right. for. It's deep learning. Now with ArcGIS Online, it's a completely different environment. It is so much easier. It's very user-friendly. Kids can use it with just picking it up, and they learn it really quickly. Right. Um, there's not much to it now, but I'm overcoming the um, the fear of, right. well, we tried this desktop version. It was hard. hard it's but, better. It's better. Um, but now this is, yeah, this is much easier, and it's been around for the last... Four years. Four years. Okay, so that, so that was actually what I was going to ask is when did you start? Because we, well, full disclosure for listeners, we used to work together at Heritage High School. Correct. And I think it was, I was still there and that's when I think you were getting started with this. But you were still, I believe you were still full-time at Heritage before going into the, the split role. So like how long has either the program or the class or the idea existed? So we've been running the class for, I started in 2002, 2003. Three years later, we started, so to, to 05, 06 is when we started the course. Okay. Um, we piloted at Heritage for three years. Right. Um, and, then, and then we, about three or four years later, we started expanding out to other schools. Okay. And now we're in, right now... Nine of the 15 high schools. Nine of the 15 high schools. Yep. Yeah, because I remember, um, and I didn't realize it had already been running. Like, I was under the impression it was a little bit newer. You basically started it right around the time I started teaching. But I know that you had, like, the the large printers ready mm-hmm. to, like, print maps and, yep. and all that. And that was an I had a student um, who was really into the class who then TA'd for me. And so she basically relayed that most of my previous knowledge of this basically came through a student who really loved the class. But that's so you piloted for three years. Yep. Is that a matter of like, say, you learning and developing a curriculum, or was that a county request? Because I know sometimes it's you know they just say no to a new class, and sometimes when they do say yes, it's you pilot it, and as quick as they can, they try to roll it out to other schools. So you had time to develop, which in a way is a good thing. Was that so I feel like that's the, a long the way it all got started was um, there was one of the JMU professors, Dr. Bob Culver, um, came up to, to Loudon and was introducing this new course. They had been only doing the, the they had been only doing the dual enrollment for one one year, or they were in their first year and they mm-hmm. wanted to get new schools involved. So he came in to do this presentation for teachers, um, trying to propose. And the science office invited teachers who were interested or possibly interested in mm-hmm. um, in learning about it. And just a year before, we had had a training that dealt with geospatial technology. <laughs> that time it was on those clunky uh, desktop computers. and um, But it was really cool. I fell in love with it then. And then when this was introduced to us, a colleague of mine who was working at Heritage at the same time, decided that we were both sitting there listening to it. And right at the end, we were both like, oh, we want to do this. Like, we want to take this on. So there was no course. It was um, the geospatial semester is what they were proposing. Mm-hmm. Dual enrollment. But the district could create their own course. Okay. About they would, Jamie would help us out. Um, so that's why we piloted it for three years. It was building the curriculum for it. So, so, you almost, so in a way, you were almost teaching the class before you fully had the class. I mean, right. you, I mean, you have stuff, you have the university connection. Like I'm not in, implying you're like winging it outright, but, but it's a thing you're, you sort of built as you went. Right. And I know for sometimes, you know, they, depending on the situation and this is, 
more for say an elective where there is no connection to a university or whatever else they want a full curriculum before you even get to pilot it kind of deal you right know? so right. so this this got done in a different order how well, i guess it's going to depend because you have what you said nine schools yep. nine schools so it's probably plays out a little differently in each one how has it developed like how is the class different now than it was in year three you know once you sort of got it rolling so once we got it rolling um it was nice to have a different school's perspective, you know, and and basically the way JMU does it is they're there, they, they come in and visit once a month. They are the teacher of record on the JMU end, so we don't need to have certification um, to teach it. We don't, okay. we get trained, my, part of my job now as a trained new teachers mm-hmm. to keep ongoing training for teachers we currently have. Right. I work very closely with the JMU folks um, in that realm. Um, and they offer, um, they offer staff development for our teachers, but it's more of if a teacher wants to learn about it and teach the class, they can, like, it's not that you have to go to school and get this degree and then, or in certain, so many years, get this degree or build up so many classes of PD. Um, and that's, and that's the beauty. And we can have, and we, it's in the science department. It's listed as a science course, Mm -hmm. but it's a general elective. Right. And we, we did it that way because then a social studies teacher, a CTE teacher, a science teacher, anybody could teach that course. Right. Right. Um, because it applies everywhere. It's right. not just one area. And when you, if you look at the career field now, there is such demands for geospatial savvy students mm-hmm. coming into work in the workforce um, in things like marketing and business and um it, it, it's it's wide span. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Department of Labor um, just deemed it as one of the high uh, need fields in the next five years. Wow. So it's it's really something that gives kids um, skills that they can use in the workforce, right. and they do it now in the high school. But getting back to how it kind of evolved, we for we piloted for three years. When I, when I went to other schools, um, we got a different perspective because every school teacher can teach it like based on their um, strengths. So mm-hmm. if I, I'm a social studies teacher and I'm teaching AP human geography, I might do a lot of the lessons built around human geography and put my spin on it, but then use some out of science and some out of business. Because right. what we try to do is we give the students a wide view of what GIS can do and mm-hmm. where it could apply. So we don't, even though we have our own comfort fields, for me, it's our science. Uh, for somebody else, it could be you know AP Human Geography, for example. But you put your own spin on it. But we have a curriculum now that gives them an opportunity to see where this applies in all fields, right? And including military uses, because military is the one that developed the geospatial technology right. in the first place. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, just thinking in terms of like job opportunities or, or the skills that go with it. You're right because like it applies so broadly. There's so many different things you can do with it. And when you said, you know, in the next five years, I, for whatever reason, both genuine interest, random paranoia, like I've been reading a lot about automation lately, you know, and the idea that at some point in between 10 and 50 years, we just won't really have people driving trucks or at least not the long haul kind of thing. But that means like there are still people responsible for doing the mapping and creating the data 
upon which the algorithms are going to function. But, you know, we're not so far along that the, the robots teach the robots yet, <laughs> you know? Right. So this is a place where, you know, pun intended, you, you still get to be in the driver's seat a little bit and, and you could do it in everything from logistics um, to military to marketing. I mean, there's, there's probably a lot, there's probably a lot of different places you can use it. And mm-hmm. there's probably, I mean, I would imagine there's more coming, like we'll figure out more ways to do this. And what's really cool is that, some of our students who really want to do a career in GIS mm-hmm. or they find that um, this is something that is of interest to them, some of them have been getting internships right out of high school because they have a skill that not many people have. Right. I recently had a student who, um, who went to college. First semester there, she did one of her projects using ArcGIS. The professor didn't think anybody knew about it, and he was so excited that she knew about it. And he's like, can we hire you as a as a lab intern because we have graduate students who need to use this but have no clue how to use it. Wow. So now, since then, she's been, she's been using it in her. Yeah. And, in, and being able to do something, use that skill to teach others. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, to her benefit. So. Yeah, and I mean, and that, that not only helps that student academically but you think about all the other opportunities that come your way when you're working in the lab as a younger student plus you're now spreading that on to the other students who needed the assistance with it in the first place um yeah there's a lot you can do so uh, you said a lot about technology in terms of accessing geospatial say mapping data things like that is there anything are there any like tools in the classroom? Like, is there a lab opportunity? Do we do students go out and you know map, use GPS and map points around the school, or like how much of this is through, say, a computer or Chromebook versus how much of this do they get to do on their own? I mean, I know that equipment's very expensive, so I'm not expecting that answer to be a lot. But is there anything that they do themselves rather than manipulating the data through a computer? Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, um, the software is a whole package and it's a mm-hmm. whole suite of different project apps that go right. along with it. So some of it is um, um, things like the collector app survey one, two, three, where they actually can cre- create forms and go out and collect data out in the field on their phone. They collect all the data on their phone, fill out the form that they created, and it populates the map with all the information, all the data that's, that's there. Cool. And then they can go and analyze that later yeah. on. There's one for what's called workforce, where um, they, you can actually set it up to be a manager and the workers. You can actually give them job assigned jobs and know where they're at in the field. So think about like a street department who you all these different calls and that come in from, from the, from the public around like this needs fixed or this is, this is a problem right. and all of them come in and you're the, you're the manager and you're kind of assigning, okay, these two, I'm going to give these projects here and they see it on the map. They know where it's at. They go and they go and do it. Yeah, and I mean, rather than have a literal checklist, like you can have it on the map so that you can see, you know, and track where people would be. Um, not to get away from the classroom stuff, just as you said that, like the roads crew thing, I never even thought about that, but that's like a great way to improve the efficiency and maybe even yep. to provide some oversight from management without actually having to drive site to site. You know, we sort of know where you are. If you were doing this as a local government, would it, is it, is the cost prohibitive? Like as a school, we rarely pay say full commercial price for things like this. If you were 
say, the town of Berryville or you're the town of Percival, something like that. Is this something that they actually can use now or is this something they would still be waiting for prices to drop on? I would imagine that um, when you look at it in the overview, the amount that the software costs, mm-hmm. you're easily going to save that amount um, in terms, in of, your, terms right. of efficiency. Right. Um, so it really depends on, A, do you have somebody who knows how to use it right. and start to use it, get to know it and understand it and right. Start using, start getting better efficiency in, in your work, or do you just go about doing things the way you, you've done Dude, them? Right, right. And that, I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough sell. And the beauty of that is if you start using that type of software, then you can track everything from incoming um, messages or, or things like you can set up a form. And a lot of um, Portland, Oregon is one example of a city who they actually have forms for public complaints. Mm-hmm. So if there's something you want to complain about about your town, there's a graffiti on that wall or there's a pothole here or that fence needs fixed, um, they can literally fill out a form. It populates the location and what's the problem. And so instead of workers going out there and looking for these things, yeah, yeah, the public is telling you this is where the problems are. Yeah, you got to hunt it and down you, and right. then figure out what the problem is. Yeah. When you show up, you're ready to fix it at that point. Right. You know? Or taking a billion phone calls, right. right? Instead of taking a phone call from a bunch of different people, it shows up on yeah. on, on the map. They do it. They, they feel like the public feels like they have control over, you know, what they're, what they're saying about their community. And yeah. then people are responding to that. Yeah. So That's it's really cool. Yeah. So, okay. So with the, with the, the student, the student piece of it. So, you know, they do have hands-on opportunities and the rest in terms of how that is implemented in different schools, since there's nine schools with different teachers who have different strengths, um, which just by person, my bias is that that's usually a good thing. Like a good framework and the right people in it. Like I like the idea that you could go school to school and not see the exact same thing. As long as in the end, the kids are walking out with approximately the same set of skills. There's a lot of different ways to get there and it lets a teacher play to their strengths assuming you have the right teacher in the room who's going to take it seriously. Do you, in your role as the lead teacher for this, do you see the different teachers using the technology differently? Like, is is it noticeably different from school to school? Like, do some of them actually use the mapping stuff and some don't? Or is it fairly it, consistent in terms of the actual practice in the room? Everybody uses the same technology, the same type of apps, right. just in a little bit different ways. Right. So, yes, you can go from class to class and see a little bit different things going on, right. but all the skill set, they're learning the same skill set. Right. Right. And that's building the curriculum. We designed it so that there is a list of the skills, the geospatial skills they're learning, mm-hmm. spatial thinking skills that JMU adds in because spatial, um, spatial thinking is a very big thing for JMU. It's not about anybody can go and learn how to punch a bun- bunch of buttons on the software right. or go out and collect data and learn how to collect data. But can you analyze it? Can you ask questions about it? Right. And can you find out an answer? And the students' final projects that we actually, we're, we're the only school system that buses them down to JMU to present on campus. Okay. Is that, that is that a yearly thing? I know, yep. I know I've seen yep. you post stuff about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an important thing to us because that is, the, it's the ending of that college course. It's right. showing them that this is that we really value this this college experience, and 
with one of the professors coming in once a month, they get a good relationship with their students, even though they're not seeing them every day. Right. But they're teaching something every time they come yeah. and something new. And they get to see the students. So they start to work, they, they work with them. And then seeing their final project and their student, they get grilled on their yeah. final project. Like they're asked, you know, we don't want to know how you did this using the computer. Right. We don't want to know that. What was your question? What, was, what, what question were you trying to ask? Right. And do you believe you you came up with a solution to that, or do you think you you know got got something out of the analysis that right. could be used? Um, and what value does this have to other pe- to other people? Right. That is what that's what they're focused on. Yeah. Um, cool. Which is what we in Louda want to do, right? We want we yeah. want we want them to be thinking for themselves, problem solving. We want them to you know to kind of take up tasks and. Okay, well, how do I, here's a problem. How do we, how do we try to solve this? Right, right. 